Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. Jared Cram made history when he was sworn in as the mayor of Binghamton on January 1st, becoming the youngest mayor in the city's 220-year history. We have a passion for public service because we're not, you know, we have to leave our community, we have to leave our country, our city, better than it was left to us. And every professor, every class that I took uh, at Syracuse sort of lived up to that, that um, Syracuse is a place that we're training the next generation of policymakers, whether it's at the local level like I'm doing, whether it's at the, uh, the state or federal level, or really on the global stage. Hi, I'm John Boccasino, Senior Internal Communications Specialist here at Syracuse University. On this CUSE conversation, we sit down with Jared to discuss how his time at Maxwell and Newhouse influenced his career as a politician and why Syracuse University inspired him to join the next generation of policymakers and make a difference in his hometown. He is a 2013 graduate of both Newhouse with a broadcast journalism degree and, of course, Maxwell with a political science degree. You'd expect nothing less for a man who has made a passion of giving back to the fine residents of Binghamton. Jared, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. John, thank you so much for having me. Has it sunk in yet or when will it sink in that you're about to make history for this city that means so much to you? Sure. Well, look, you know, Election Day being in November, uh, you know, it, it's a long, you know, 10 month campaign. Election Day hits and followed quickly by you know, Thanksgiving and the holiday season. So I really have not been able to take a breath quite yet, but uh, it'll sink in for sure uh, when I take the oath of office on the first. Um, but it, as you mentioned, you know, it, it's a it's a culmination of many years of public service. And so I think a lot of the the, the things that have happened you know, so far in my life have kind of led to this point. So um, it'll take a while, but I'm excited to get going on, on day one and, and keep uh, working on behalf of the residents of the city. I know it always seems to be, at least from an outsider perspective, there's a, a stigma that you have to be of a certain age and had a certain life experience to, to run a city, to collaborate when it comes to the policymakers and the decision makers. Was it hard for you to go about convincing the residents of Binghamton that they should entrust a 30-year-old to, to be their mayor? That's a really interesting question. And I think, you know, I was surprised that, you know, I knocked on thousands of doors uh, over the course of the campaign is that wasn't really something that came up. And in fact, I think that, you know, I was a unique candidate because in some ways I was the fresh face of being a younger person involved in politics, but also had more experience working at City Hall for almost eight years than many people who do run for public office. And so um, I was able to be both that fresh face and the establishment candidate kind of at the same time. But I also think, you know, my message uh, did reach a lot of younger voters who may not typically participate in local elections. And uh, my message was, look, if we, like many other upstate New York cities, want to attract and retain young professionals, uh, maybe it's time that we elect one to lead the community. So if anything, I kind of leaned into that. Um, I actually did not know uh, when I was elected or really during the campaign that I would take over as Binghamton's youngest mayor in its history. I knew that it was probably close, but I didn't want to tempt fate and do all the research. So I let uh, the city historian uh, do that after the fact. And so um, I didn't necessarily beat the drum on that, but uh, it was definitely a, a, a great moment when I was able to win and I'll be a, a fresh young face at City Hall. What do you think it was predominantly that convinced the voters to, to give you this opportunity? 
Sure. Uh, it, it all came back to those discussions on folks' front porches, uh, at their uh, kitchen tables, and the, the issues that impact their neighborhoods. You know, when when folks are thinking about who they want to vote for, for mayor or their city council person, anyone involved in local politics, uh, they want to know what that person can do for them in their neighborhood, on their block. And um, a lot of times what we see in whether it's in Albany politics or Washington politics, there's these kind of global issues and debates and Everything's very hypothetical, whereas when you're running for mayor, you got to fix that pothole out in front of somebody's uh, front porch. You have to make sure that the, the blighted property down the block uh, gets demolished and repurposed uh, to uh, some type of you know community garden, that type of thing. The real tangible projects. So what I was able to do is say, I've got more than seven and a half years of experience working in the mayor's office as deputy mayor. I have you know, background and education that, uh, you know, is the best in the world, right, in, in these things. And so um, I can accomplish those and, and I have a measurable track record. And so I think it was just selling myself as a candidate who's a problem solver, who, when you pick up the phone, call the mayor's office, will know how to get it done, will get it done quickly. And uh, you'll see your tax uh, dollars at work really for you. And that's what people want at the end of the day. We know that uh, the best of intentions from politicians can often go awry without collaboration, without cross-department partnerships. How do you go about building those relationships with your government colleagues to get work done? Sure. It, it begins and ends with uh, bipartisanship. You know, I don't view that we can really accomplish anything at City Hall without having an attitude that you know parties don't matter and in, in that whether it's with members of city council, whether it's with elected leaders at other higher levels of government, uh, you have to be able to work with people who are from different political parties or people that you may disagree with on some issues, but you can find common ground on a broad range of, of other issues. And um, I don't view my role as mayor in, in any type of local government as a partisan position. You can't look at yourself that, as a politician first, but an elected official. Uh, because as I mentioned, you know, when folks go into the voting booth, uh, they're not necessarily uh, worried about a Republican or Democratic way to fix the problems. They just want the problems fixed. And so um, it, bipartisanship is a key. But I also think, too, what happened with the pandemic and a lot of things that, uh, you know, folks kind of paid attention to their local governments a little bit more. And, and, and we need to elect people that are competent, that are experienced in government, that don't uh, fall into those uh, political battles. They just want people who who will get things done. So I was able to to resonate with those those people and uh, ultimately look forward to a very an era of bipartisanship here at Binghamton City Hall over the next uh, four or hopefully more years than four just four. This is kind of a a tough question. I feel like Jared for you, but I want to ask it because the last time that we had to deal with something of this scope of the pandemic was 1918 and. Spanish flu and everything was completely, I mean, we wouldn't be talking on Zoom for a, a podcast session. There was no such thing as the great World Wide Web back then. How have you seen COVID-19 impact the residents of Binghamton and what impact do you think COVID had, if any, on how you campaigned and how the election played out? Yeah, you know, it changed everything, um, you know, from from not holding a, a, a big you know, rally to, to announce the campaign to just a press conference with, you know, my uh, fiance and immediate family and members of the media. So from a political standpoint, it certainly changed. You had to do more fundraising online, right? You couldn't have those events. You could, you had to do more 
uh, Zoom calls with with whether it's supporters or neighborhood groups, uh, fundraising online, that type of thing. But I think from a from a a perspective of government. Um, you saw what could happen when government does well, and then what happens when government kind of takes a back seat. I'll give you a, an example. You know, when the, we were in really the throes of the pandemic, you think about local government. It's not only the people who pick up your garbage or plow your roads, but also police and fire. And you know, these are first responders that never uh, were able to work from home. They never took days off. They were out there protecting our community. And testing became a huge issue in those early months of the pandemic. There wasn't enough testing. Testing was taking too long. It wasn't quick enough to catch up with the contact tracing. So one of the things that we did, the city of Binghamton took the lead with our local hospital system. It was the first municipality in the nation to bring some cutting edge testing that's actually out of Ithaca, New York, a company called Rionix, and make that testing available to our police officers, our firefighters, the, the folks in sanitation, public works who plow our, our roads to make sure that they can be tested. If there is an exposure, we can make sure that we keep them safe. And we were able to be innovative and, and active even when, you know, folks were working from home or uh, the pandemic sort of rocked all our other aspects of our public policy. Uh, we were on, you know, daily Zoom meetings that were set up through the um, uh, Harvard University where they were bringing in, you know, experts in, uh, communicable diseases or uh, public policy to advise uh, uh, elected leaders or public officials like myself into what to do, how to make sense of all this data. So it's really, we went to the experts, we listened to them, and that helped impact uh, our public policy decisions here at the city of Binghamton. How about then moving forward? Because as we we all know with, with Omicron, with Delta, there's been so much that's ever evolving and changing with the virus, what's going to be key for you and your colleagues in City Hall to continue to meet the growing and changing needs that the pandemic presents us? Sure, I think that you know it's it's continuing to uh, to advocate and to remind residents that you know vaccines are really effective at uh, you know preventing serious uh, illness uh, with this virus. It prevents it from being spread, and, and for folks to get vaccinated and, and to get boosted as the um, as the doctors recommend, but also increasing capacity with testing and the speed at testing can happen is still a number one concern. The other thing that we have to remember is that you know this has rocked our economy in ways we haven't seen since really the Great Depression. So you have a number of small businesses who have survived the last uh, couple of years. They haven't been thriving, they've been surviving. We need to find a way to invest in them, to remind people to uh, still continue to patronize our, our establishments, whether it's in downtown Binghamton, to visit their small businesses. Uh, these are local jobs and these are families that help make up the fabric of our community. We can't uh, leave them behind. We have to make sure that the recovery just doesn't uh, work for the, the big corporations, but also Main Street as well. So that's going to be a key focus of my first you know, 100 days in office is to bring together those small business owners, reach them in the community and ask them, what do you need from us? What do you need from local government? Because uh, we, it may make the difference between those businesses staying in business or going out of business. You served as deputy mayor under Mayor Richard David since 2014. How did that experience influence your political aspirations and maybe motivate you this time around to want to take over and be the next mayor? 
Sure. Well, you know, the job as deputy mayor, you wear a lot of different hats, but it's essentially day-to-day operations of, of running a city. And, you know, Binghamton being a little smaller than 50,000, uh, we have a lot of complex challenges um, and jobs, you know, have to get done on a daily basis. You know, we've got uh, north of 500 employees. We've got uh, issues with public safety. Uh, we have to be a liaison with city council. You know, there's seven members there where we have to figure out what their priorities and their needs are. So it's sort of um, alongside the mayor, kind of the ultimate quarterback of the city. And um, with that day-to-day experience, you get get uh, the wisdom, you get the uh, knowing how to how to deal with issues as they come up, because you may have seen them before. Um, it's very difficult to walk into any level of municipal government without that level of experience, because uh, you're going to have different challenges every day. Uh, working with uh, our, our public unions of the city is another key role, whether it be a police, fire, public works. So uh, being in the mayor's office, seeing it on a day-to-day basis, getting projects off the drawing board and making them a reality and having built up a track record of those. When you've done, you know, five, six, seven major housing projects, that eighth one is a lot less difficult versus the first one that you did. So uh, having that experience uh, put me in a great position that on January 1st, I don't come in with, you know, wide eyes and trepidation. I'm ready to lead. I've done this before and I'm basically just moving one office over uh, here at the mayor's office at City Hall. You had mentioned earlier that your whole life has really been leading up to this moment. I get the sense in talking with you how proud you are of the Southern tier and to call the city of Binghamton home. How exactly has this been a culminating moment for you to go from, you know, you go to Syracuse, you get two great degrees, but you weren't always in politics. You worked for an advertising firm uh, before taking over and, and joining as deputy mayor. How did you make that transition and what motivated that? I kind of came to Syracuse not sure what I wanted to do. I, I just knew that the programs with Newhouse and Maxwell were, you know, some of the best in the world and that I would be able to gain experience, you know, gain knowledge, learn from great professors. You know, there was a time actually where I wanted to go into uh, whether it's political journalism or even sports journalism. When I was in high school, that was kind of my interest. You know, I wanted to be on ESPN. I wanted to be on NBC Sports. Um, but you know, I realized that, you know, that's kind of a grind where, you know, you may have to work in very, very small markets. There's very few people that get to call NBA games uh, or uh, or Monday night football games like so many Syracuse alumni uh, have, have done. Uh, so I knew that I wanted to do something in, in public affairs, whether it's communication or or politics. And being at Syracuse, I, I saw um, all of the different ways where being civically minded uh but the biggest impact that you can have is on the local level. So I moved back to Binghamton. You know, I didn't pursue opportunities on the West Coast or in New York City uh, to uh, to take jobs there. I really wanted to come back to Binghamton. I wanted to be part of the ongoing revitalization that was kind of fledgling and not quite taken off. Um, and you know, also too, the uh, 2013 here in Binghamton was a mayor's race. And so I moved back, I was working in advertising and uh, was able to volunteer on Rich David's uh, campaign, do a lot of innovative things with that and and get him elected and and start kind of the uh, true revitalization of our community and uh, was has really been at City Hall since. So, you know, for me, it was taking what I learned at Syracuse in terms of, you know, certainly from the Maxwell School, 
great understanding of our institutions of government, the, the public policy that works, the kind that doesn't, how to think about government and politics. And then at Newhouse, it was just this vigorous kind of um, uh, belief and uh, understanding of how the press, how the media, how communication is so uh, so important in in public policy, and that you know the role of the press is so huge in government. We have to be elected leaders that respect that, respect the First Amendment, understand uh, why that that's so important, and so. I'm able to kind of put those all together at the local level of politics, which is you know really rewarding for me. Uh, certainly, I never would have dreamed that I'd be mayor of uh, the, the city that I call my hometown, a community that I, I grew up in. So uh, it's a great experience, and Syracuse was a big part of, of getting me to this place. When did you start to really have the seeds get planted that this is something that was an attainable future and politics really was where your heart was going to get called towards? You know, I would say that um, probably during when I was at Syracuse, it was the, the 2012 election. And, you know, I was able to take a, a great class, a political reporting class with Newhouse, where we actually went to uh, New Hampshire uh, to cover the uh, primaries that were happening there. So I went from kind of student in the classroom to student in the field. And so, you know, we were writing stories and doing radio reports, literally covering presidential races. And I was at rallies and I was at events and saw just, you know, American politics in its most retail form where, you know, we were bumping into individuals at a, at a diner in New Hampshire. And the woman that I was talking to said, well, you know, I've only met each of the candidates twice. So I still have to talk to them a few more times before I make my decision who to vote for. And so that to me was kind of the realization where this is where the excitement is. I really, uh, no matter what you know, sports could bring me, even a, a Super Bowl championship, this is really cool. And, and this is a, a field in which I want to operate, whether it's on one side of the camera or the other. I knew kind of then uh, covering the 2012 election as part of that class that, that this is where I needed to go. Your experiences besides serving as deputy mayor um, under your predecessor, you also had an internship uh, with U.S. Senator Chuck Schumer, now the majority, a Democratic majority leader. Um, you've worked on a bunch of campaigns. Who are some of the politicians and philosophies that have really molded who you are as an elected leader? Yeah, you know, this is kind of, a, you, you'll, you'll probably find this is an interesting answer. So, you know, certainly my father was involved in politics. Uh, he passed away about five years ago. But, you know, I was too young to really understand a lot of you know the policies and he was a county executive here in Broome County but I sort of understood the character uh, how to treat people keeping your promises being innovative so I took a lot of the care his character of what it means to be in public service that you know you have to be an elected official first not a politician um, I, I think too again you know having those presidential elections and seeing uh, whether it be in, in in 2008 the Obama campaign how they completely reinvented what it's like to, to run a presidential uh, campaign. I, I think, you know, President Obama was at a time, at least in my life, when I was kind of formulating, uh, you know, my views on politics and a lot of how I think about government, you know, he, his messaging and how he sort of uh, operated as a leader, I always looked up to. Uh, certainly his, you know, personal courage and, you um, uh, and story is very, you know, inspiring as well and, and continues, you know, post-presidency. And then, of course, you know, from really a, an operational basis, 
Mayor Rich David um, has been an incredible mentor to me because he previously worked in, in the mayor's office as deputy mayor uh, before he ran for mayor. So he was a trailblazer in that sense. He showed me exactly how to do budgeting, how to do projects, how to deal with members of city council. So uh, I would say that, you know, that's really where a lot of my my background in politics. But I still have to say, too, that the classes that I took at Syracuse um, have helped frame my worldview, too, whether it be, you know, those you know, two semesters of constitutional law where I had to vigorously defend maybe uh, opinions that I didn't agree with just as strong as the ones I did agree with. And you'll learn a lot when you do that. And, uh, you know, th that is really invaluable in terms of where I am today, having that strong background uh, from the Maxwell School uh, when it comes to political science and public policy. When you look around and think about where you are today, what's the biggest way that Syracuse impacted your life and can be credited for your successes? I would say, you know, it's uh, it's engraved in the uh, the Maxwell School uh, Auditorium lobby there, the Athenian Oath, where, uh, you know, we have a passion for public service because we're not, you know, we have to leave our community, we have to leave our country, our city uh, better than it was left to us. And every professor, every class that I took uh, at Syracuse sort of lived up to that, that um, Syracuse is a place that we're training the next generation of policymakers, whether it's at the local level like I'm doing, whether it's at the, uh, the state or federal level, or really on the global stage. There's so many Syracuse alumni, uh, whether it be from the Maxwell School that are doing work in, in other countries across the globe, whether it's from Newhouse in, in you know, Pulitzer Prize winning journalists and investigative reporters that are um, doing the work of democracy is, I think, the biggest takeaway. And that, you know, a lot of times when people think about Syracuse, certainly, in, you know, in Binghamton, we have a lot of orange basketball fans, uh, you know, under the surface are kind of these great schools. And for me, it was the exact opposite where look at Maxwell, look at Newhouse. They are the top of the line. And these are the places where I want to be. And any person that's that's interested in going into any type of political journalism or public service, there's no better environment with those two great colleges uh, that Syracuse has uh, to to gain an experience and study from the best uh, before you go into public service. Now, you've given us a little bit of a background into your orange history and you know why you chose to attend Syracuse. What were some of your favorite memories made and favorite moments from your time on the Hill? Sure. You know, I think that Syracuse provided a, an, an amazing opportunity to, to bring in thought leaders in whatever field it was and put them in front of students. Uh, you know, I remember when uh, uh, Mike Tarico came and, and he brought in from the kind of the sports media side of thing, some, uh, you know, NFL executives, and they were talking about the future of the NFL as it relates to media and how you know, in a very short amount of time, the, the millennials are going to be the biggest uh, market share of, of who watches sports and how that, what that means. But it wasn't just, hey, you know, show up at a lecture. It was take questions from the audience, get engaged, that type of thing. Uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton visited campus, you know, when I was there and I was able to, to work with, a, you know, as part of a Syracuse student social media team, which I was involved in you know, covering that event. So, you know, for me, uh, it was a lot of what the schools had to offer in terms of those extra things uh, that really made it great. Seeing, uh, you know, Aaron Sorkin, it wasn't my commencement, but it was uh, the year before, 
uh, speak uh, to the to the student body and, and give them advice. All of the things that Syracuse did, the, the ways that they were able to connect you with major uh, people in American political life, in journalism, that uh, no other college that I can think of um, ha- makes it that much of a focus. How do you try to use that? You mentioned being a fresh face too, and there's different challenges of reaching people during COVID. How do you think you can turn to social media to really effectively communicate your policies and your plans to your constituents? In my opinion, the biggest um, trend that we'll see over the next you know, several years, whether it's in journalism or in politics, we're kind of seeing it right now, is live video. Uh, the, the fact that you know, as a uh, public official, that I have a platform which through just a couple of, of uh, presses on my uh, smartphone, I can go live to the community and that can reach hundreds or thousands of people immediately. And you really think about the application of that, um, whether it's a time of emergency, whether it's a major announcement that we're making, or even just uh, an ability to have a, a vi- virtual town hall with folks and, and, and kind of have a back and forth. The ability to connect live with constituents is something that I'm sure the predecessors of mine who you know were in, here in the 70s and 80s and 90s, you just, you never would have dreamed of. Uh, a live meant the local TV station bringing a huge truck with an antenna down here and, and having people watch on TV. Now we can literally reach residents of the city from our smartphone 24 seven. And I think that politicians have to think about this or elected officials have to think about that. You are now a publishing platform. You are now a media company. In addition to being a, an elected official or a, or a head of state, you're also a brand. And I think that we've seen that, uh, you know, Washington, there's been people who've done it very well on both sides of the aisle. I know uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez has is, is been a great example of that um, through Instagram Live and, and that type of thing. Um, you know, we are seeing the change in politics and uh, local officials, state officials have to sort of realize that it's happening and take advantage of that as quickly as they can. You mentioned sports and sports broadcasting. You're also a huge baseball fan. And I know that there's a cause near and dear to your heart, the now Binghamton Rumble Ponies and their future being secured in Binghamton. Tell us a little bit about the role that you played with City Hall in keeping the team in town. We know that there were so many minor league towns that lost baseball teams uh, both before the pandemic and then during the consolidations. There were small wooden bat leagues that got eliminated. The New York Penn League had a whole bunch of teams go by the wayside. How did you fight so hard to keep the Rumble Ponies in Binghamton? Yeah, that was that was a huge accomplishment, and you know it was very personal to me because that's the stadium that you know w- was kind of uh, came on came online like when I was born. You know, in the early '90s. This is where I had, you know, birthday parties when I was a kid. When I was in high school, my high school, one of my high school jobs was to be the public address announcer for the stadium, you know, announcing now batting and, and the future stars of the New York Mets. So um, it was very personal to me. And the future of the team was in jeopardy. I mean, it was it was a phone call away from, really from from us not having a minor league team. So you know, one of the things that we made, really made clear, and I think that this is one of the things that I learned best from that situation was that you really have to make it clear how important these things are. You have to tell the, the powers that be what your values are and be able to back that up with real resources. You know, in Binghamton's case, we had an aging stadium, you know, nearly 30 years old. It was built for a different time. Uh, and when you have a major league organization like the Mets, 
their number one asset are their players and their young prospects. So they're paying many millions of dollars. They want to make sure that their minor league facilities meet the, the major league specifications. So it was making clear to Major League Baseball, to making clear to the, the folks in Washington, the lawmakers like Senator Schumer, who, who played a leading role in trying to help out Binghamton, that our team is important to us. We're willing to put the resources necessary to upgrade the stadium, but also to tell the story about how a baseball and professional baseball is not just about the, uh, the batting averages and the ERA numbers. This is a community asset. This is the place where a, a family of four can have an affordable night out uh, when so often things are getting more expensive for hardworking families. There's no more, no more affordable uh, night out than a night at the, the ballpark. So um, it's a focus of downtown revitalization for us. And we're com completing kind of a master plan to do with the stadium. So that was what was the most important part. So being in on meetings, getting to the weeds on Excel spreadsheets and what we can afford and how we can make this work, chasing down grant opportunities and securing them. Um, that was a kind of a, a full time job. Uh, aside from all the other things that, that had to be done. So we're very thankful. The future of the, the Rumble Ponies is bright with a new owner, David Tabatka. I think that the New York Mets uh, have a really dynamic uh, ownership now. They're starting to spend money, uh, again, on free agents. So that's a good sign. And I think that things are in a good place for whether it's Mets fans here in Binghamton or, you know, really across the country. Another issue of yours, Jared, just going off of what I've been hearing and reading about you is you're passionate about clean energy. What have you done as a clean energy advocate to bring really important change to the city residents of Binghamton? Sure. You know, it's something I'm passionate about. And certainly uh, any uh, elected official of my generation or moving forward, it's kind of the challenge of our time. And you know, a lot of it has to happen on a global scale, but we should be as local elected officials be leading in our own communities. And so one of the first projects that we tackled at City Hall was a conversion of about 7,000 streetlights to LED technology. So that obviously uses a lot less electricity, a lot less energy, uh, but it, it's also upgrading street lighting in neighborhoods, which means it's they're safer. People uh, feel that uh, streets are better lit from a safety uh, standpoint. So we've done that. We've converted um, all of our uh, municipal electric use to renewable sources. And we were also named a clean energy community, the first city in the southern tier uh, by New York State. And, you know, I view the the jobs really of the 21st century are going to be in clean technology in in green jobs. You know, for many years, uh, Binghamton in this area was known as a valley of opportunity. Uh, we had IBM was founded just in the town over. We had major uh, defense contractors who had research and development firms here. A lot of those uh, have left and uh, we have to replace it with with something. And in my opinion, Binghamton is well poised to really be the clean energy leader in New York State. Uh, we have uh, funding that's been invested from the state of New York. We have a clean technology incubator right here in downtown Binghamton, just a few hundred yards away from, from my office here at City Hall. There has to be an effort where government and the private sector are coming together and saying, look, this makes sense, not just because it's good for the environment, and that's really important, but it also is great for the taxpayers. When we have energy savings, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, that's good for the taxpayers. By switching over some of our fleet uh, at City Hall to clean 
uh, energy vehicles, zero emission vehicles. That's less wear and tear on those vehicles. We're not paying for gas, and we've seen what, what gas prices have done the last uh, 12 months or so. So I'm proud to be an advocate. Um, I think it's probably atypical of someone of my political party, but again, resonated with voters uh, here in the city of Binghamton. It's exciting to know that the mayor of Binghamton has orange ties. He is Jared Cram on Twitter at Jared Cram. He's a good follow. I recommend going and checking him out to stay connected uh, with an orange alumnus who's doing great things in the city of Binghamton. Jared, we appreciate your time and wish you nothing but the best. John, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.